Good morning, everybody. Once again, I want you to imagine for a minute that someone gave you a free cruise ticket. Okay, who's been on a cruise before? You have anyone? Okay, so we got a few people who understand this a little better. But imagine you get this free ticket for a 10 day cruise, but you don't just get a ticket for the cruise. Okay, you also get free airfare. Round trip airfare, down to Miami, get on the cruise ship, it's going to be great. But the person who gives you these tickets says, hey, you know what, this is all inclusive, so you don't need to bring a cent. In fact, you can't bring a cent. You can't bring any cards, you can't bring any cash. Okay, you just got to trust me on this, all right, it's all free. All right, sweet, fantastic. So you get on the airplane, you even get a meal, a full meal, you're first class, it's awesome. You know, I've never... I've never been in first class. I, it, I, it's just amazing. So for those of you who have, you know what I'm talking about. So you're going, you get off the plane, you board the cruise ship, and, and you're all excited. You get check into your room, and what you're most excited about is the buffet, right? So you get in line for the buffet, and you're like, oh, man, you're looking ahead, and you see, you see all this stuff. You see seafood over here. You see some Mexican. Okay, you see some barbecue. You're like, I'm going to get all of that. I'm going to sit down and eat it all, and then I'm going to get all of that again. And then I'm going to sit down, and I'm just going to keep doing it the whole trip. It's going to be awesome, right? So you're really excited. And then the guy next to you in line for the buffet goes, hey, uh, you have your tickets for food, right? And you panic. <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about? This is all inclusive. He's like, no, it's not. you got to have tickets to get food. So you leave the line, and you suddenly realize you don't have any cash So you can't buy food tickets, so you're on a 10-day cruise with no food. Not so fun anymore. So you go a day or so, and you're drinking from the drinking fountain, and um, you're getting really hungry. So finally, you decide, okay, I'm going to go to a staff person. So you go to a staff person, you're like, hey, can I I just scrub some toilets to get a food ticket? Would that be all right? The staff person turns to you and goes, sir, you you don't realize this is an all-inclusive cruise. So do you have tickets for your cruise? Yeah, they're right here. Well, then get in line for the buffet. Whoever told you that was dead wrong. So you've been starving this whole time and about to scrub toilets when it was absolutely free the whole time, even though the person who told you, hey, you got to trust me. This is all-inclusive. You didn't trust them. You listened to someone else. Well, this is exactly what's happening in the book of Galatians. So we're in Galatians 3 this morning, and the Galatian Christians... We're told the gospel by Paul. Hey, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're going to be saved. You are his and nothing can separate you from him. So you don't need to do anything. All you need to do is is believe. So these Galatians, though, were told by this other group called Judaizers. They were saying, hey, you need to get circumcised and you need to obey the law in the Old Testament to a T on top of believing in Jesus. And it's like the Galatians has, had decided to go and scrub toilets when they didn't need to. And were starving themselves like, like, you, this, like you did on the cruise uh, in that situation. But you didn't need to. So that's what the Galatians are doing. And that's why Paul's pretty mad and upset. Because he's like, why would you do that if you don't have to? It's not that he's upset at, at, at them, like I'm really mad at you. He's upset that they would believe something like that. Because he loves them so much. So... Let's look at Galatians 3. I'm just going to read through it, and then we'll break it apart a little bit. But the bottom line of Galatians and of this passage is that works can't save you, okay? And he uses three appeals. The first appeal is to their experience. So let's read 1 to 5. 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's his second argument, starting in verse 6. He's appealing to the example of Abraham. So continuing in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then we see in verse 10 to 14, he makes his appeal now to the scriptures the Old Testament scriptures. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive this promised Spirit through faith. Let's pray. God, I know that it is my natural way of living to try to earn my salvation from you. And I know that's true of all of us in here. We all want to try to check all these things off the list to get right with you. But I thank you that that is not how we're saved. I thank you that it's totally not dependent on the things I do or don't do. But it's totally dependent on what you did on the cross for us. So come and convince us of that this morning. Rid us of a works-based mentality, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's back up. Let's start in verse 1. So he makes an appeal to their experience. And the first experience in verses 1 and 2 is to their salvation. Your salvation was not through works. Let me read it again. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you feel the intensity in verse 1? Why is Paul so upset? Why is he so intense? What's going on? Well, Paul apparently made Christ's finished work on the cross as clear and as vivid to the Galatians as if it was happening right in front of them. Okay, so uh, if you've seen the movie Patriot's Day, which is about the Boston City Marathon uh, bombing, you're always wondering while you're watching it, hey, did this actually happen? Did it happen like this? Because it's so shocking. All these things that just normal cops are having to deal with. And you're just like, whoa, what is going on? And it's like it's happening right before you and you just get sucked in. Okay, so a better example, if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, when Paul shared the gospel with the Galatians, it was like they were watching The Passion of the Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, I shared the gospel so vividly to you 
that was like watching that. Now I have a, uh, a picture to show you here, and this is a, pic- a picture of a picture that's up in my office. Um, so this is, and there's Joy's little drawing down here, but this is a picture from the Passion of the Christ, and I have it up to remind me all the time of the gospel that Jesus saved me that I'm in desperate need of the gospel today, that I'm in desperate need of Jesus today. And it reminds me of the bloody sacrifice it was. Because that movie is rated R for a reason. It's, it's really vivid. But it was probably even worse than that. So I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it, to see it. But when Paul says this here, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's like, it's like they're looking at that image. It's like they're watching the passion of the Christ and they're just sucked in. So he's saying, you clearly understood what Christ did. How could you think you could add to that? Clearly, salvation is not by works. Um, one of my favorite authors and pastors, C.J. Mahaney, said, said that um, living like you can save yourself through works is like saying to God, your plan didn't work. The cross wasn't enough. And I need to add my good works to be saved. But if you're not saved by works, what does save you? Okay, it says it in this passage. It says, hearing through faith. Okay, at the end of verse 2, by hearing with faith. And what, what does that mean? It, it simply means trusting God. Trusting God. So Wayne Grudem talks about this word. Uh, that's used in the Bible. And it's, it's faith, believe, trust. They're all used pretty interchangeably and mean the same thing. They're all, they're all synonymous in the Bible. But faith really isn't a good one term for us to use in our culture, he says, because um, we have faith that our football team's going to win a game. Okay? But we're not sure if they're going to win the game. So it's not this sure... It's not this sure thing. It's like, oh, I have faith. Maybe it'll happen. And it's not maybe, hopefully, Jesus is going to save me. He did save me. Okay, it is a fact. So faith, while it's a good biblical term, I don't know if in our lingo today it's the best word. I think trust is. And believe, um, well, I believe that five times two is ten. Okay, I believe that as a fact. But... Um, that's really impersonal. Trusting in Jesus to save you is not an impersonal thing. Okay, so it's not blind faith, and it's not just believing facts. It's trusting. It's trusting Jesus. It's this personal trust that's anchored in something, and that something is the cross of Jesus Christ. So if, if hearing with faith is what saves you, and that means trusting God, and trusting what God says, what does God say? Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes with hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And God says this, Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe or trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. There's no ambiguity in that verse. It says you will be saved. It's not, you will be saved if you get circumcised too. You will get saved, you will be saved if you read your Bible every day too. No. If you trust in Jesus, period, you will be saved. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is the only thing that can save you. 
So he's making this appeal to their experience. And then he shifts in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So the experience now is not that salvation is not by works. Here he's saying sanctification is not by works. What's sanctification mean? Sanctification is simply growing in your relationship with Jesus. It's becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, is not by works. And he says here in verse 3, Are you being perfected by the flesh or by your sinful nature? Are you being perfected by your own efforts? It would be like saying, you know, I totally trust Jesus to save me. And it totally didn't depend on me. But now I've got to work like it does depend on me. And if we're honest, a lot of us live like that. But that's not the gospel. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Yes, definitely. We need to fight like heaven to obey. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? We definitely need to work and have some effort, but your effort needs to be put towards trusting. Because your level of trust will determine your level of obedience. Okay, let let me reread verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's Paul saying, hey, Galatians, when you prayed for that guy to be healed the other day and he was healed physically, did that happen because you got circumcised? Did that happen because you said just the right words when you prayed? No. It happened because you trusted the Holy Spirit to heal this guy physically. To do what only God can do. So our effort is spent on trusting and on relying on the Spirit. And obedience flows from that. Because your level of trust will determine your level of obedience. Sanctification or obedience, becoming more like Jesus, is a trust issue. It's not an effort issue. So imagine for a second, most of us don't have to imagine this, you have a really long day. Okay, you're just worn out. It's the end of the day. You're at home. About to eat supper, and you just get really irritable. You're just really short. Um, you say some things you shouldn't say. It's not good. Now, I would contend, and I think Paul would contend, that it wasn't because you didn't try hard enough to be patient that you were irritable. Okay? I think deep down, it's a trust issue with God. You were not trusting God. You were putting your trust in earthly comfort. You, you felt, you know, I had a really stressful day, so I deserve comfort when I get home. To be physically, just be able to chill out and veg and be undisturbed by my kids or by my wife or anyone. I, I deserve that. And, and what we do is we make comfort our Savior instead of having Jesus be our Savior. Instead of finding rest in the, the comfort of the finished work of Jesus, you find rest or try to find rest in earthly comfort. 
So you're making that your Savior when only Jesus can be your Savior. Yes, you're going to have long days. But in those days, you trust Jesus. You, you beg Jesus to help you trust Him that He is going to give me rest even though I'm exhausted physically, even though I'm just worn down. He is going to give me the rest I need so that I can be patient with my family when I get home. Another example, let's say you spend hours preparing a meal for your family and then they hate it. Okay, ever happened to anyone? Okay, I'm sure. No one. Wow, I'm the only one. All right. Um, so you spend hours. I don't know if I've ever spent hours, though, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, but you spend hours preparing a meal for your family, and they hate it. And so you just beat yourself up. The rest of that night, you're just done. You're checked out. You're beating yourself up. You're moping around. And it's not because you didn't try hard enough on that meal. Okay, you tried real hard on that meal. It's It's because deep down you didn't trust God. You were putting your trust in the approval of your family, in the approval of others, instead of finding rest in the approval you already have because of the finished work of Jesus. See, no matter what it is, making a meal, serving other people, people are going to constantly disapprove of you. That's just all there is to it. But totally undeserving, Jesus comes and says, you know what? I approve of you. I see that you're messed up, but I love you so much. I came and died for you and rose from the dead. And because you've believed in me and trusted me as your Savior, I approve of you. And nothing can change your status with me. When we have that, we can walk through anything. We can walk through disapproval from anybody and everybody. Sure, it'll still hurt. It'll still sting. But deep down, we have this deep-seated approval from God. Another example. Let's say you have this really elaborate plan on a Saturday. Okay, you're going to get all of this stuff done. You're going to have a a great time with the kids and with your family. But one of your children gets really sick. So you decide just to disengage the rest of the day. You're like, fine. He's sick. I'm done. You know, and you let it just ruin the whole day for you and for your whole family. Now, it's not because you didn't try hard enough to be engaged that you disengaged the rest of that day. Because it's probably because deep down you didn't trust God. You were putting your trust in control. Or at least the control you thought you had over your Saturday. Instead of finding rest in the control that God has. Instead of going, yes, this stinks because I had all this stuff planned. But God, I trust your sovereign control over this day. You are my Savior, not my control that I thought I had over this day. So I'm finding rest. I'm finding approval. I'm finding, I'm finding my life and my joy from Jesus. And I, I would guess that all of us have at least one of these three functional Saviors that we wrestle with each week. Comfort, approval, control. So next time you react really extremely and and probably sinfully to a situation, ask yourself, what has become my Savior now? And then remind yourself of the finished work of Jesus and find rest, victory, peace that is already yours in Jesus. Your circumstances don't determine how approved and loved you are by God. 
So here's Paul. He's going, okay, Galatians, if your experience isn't enough to convince you that your works can't save you, and your experience isn't enough to convince you that your works can't sanctify you, how about an example of the father of your whole, of the whole Jewish Israel nation? Abraham. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why did Paul use Abraham as an example? Well, it's because this was before circumcision even existed. Remember, these guys are saying you've got to be circumcised and you've got to obey the law. Well, guess what? The law of Moses didn't exist either. This is centuries before this law that the Judaizers are trying to impose on them was given to Moses. And it says that Abraham was saved before any of those things they were trying to impose existed. So Abraham's actually the first Jew, but yet he's not saved by works. He's saved by what? Faith. By trusting God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So what is this blessing? It talks about this blessing for all nations. What's that? Well, we know from this passage, Abraham didn't know what that was going to look like. We know that it's, it's two main things. Justification. And last week, Steve did a good job explaining that. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. It's God looking at us. And even though we're horribly sinful, He looks at us and goes, You know what? You're righteous. You have a perfect record. Be like a judge in a court case just going, you know what? Yep, you did really screw up. But I'm going to act like you didn't. And in this case, Jesus actually took the punishment that should have been ours so that we could be justified just as if we never sinned. God looks at us and sees Christ's record, not our messed up record. And then we also get the, the blessing to all nations, which is blessing to anybody who believes from any nation, every tri- any tribe, any tongue. You get the Holy Spirit. The moment you believed in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, God Himself living inside of you to empower you, to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you love like you've never experienced before. So what an incredible blessing. We receive this totally, not because of our works, Abraham received justification apart from anything he ever did. So Paul's saying, okay, Galatians, if your experience and Abraham's example isn't enough to convince you that works don't save you, how about Scripture itself? Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Stop right there. Here's the point. No one can keep the law perfectly, which means we're cursed. That's what those verses are saying. Cursed be everyone who does not abide abide by all things written in the book of the law. That's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 27, 26, 
Well, guess what? Deuteronomy is the law. So the law itself tells us that perfection is demanded. But then we know from Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So there's no way that we can keep the law. So Paul's saying to Galatians, haven't you read the law that these Judaizers are trying to get you to obey? It was never meant to save. And it says it. That's what's going on here. And in case you missed it, works can't save you, but Jesus can. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He ends the way he started chapter 3. Jesus crucified saves you. It says, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that's a quote from Deuteronomy as well. Deuteronomy 21-23. When people would commit a crime punishable by death, After they would execute them, they would literally hang someone's body, dead body on a tree. So imagine just walking down the sidewalk here, and you look over at the tree that's by the cube over there, and there's a dead guy hanging there. Okay? That's that's literally what would happen. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's what we deserve, actually, because of our sins. We deserve to be killed and then just hung on a tree for everyone to look at. And it was a sign of God's rejection. But instead of us receiving the rejection, Jesus took the rejection. Jesus took the curse by being nailed to a tree, nailed to a cross, so that everybody who trusts in him will be blessed, will receive justification, just as if you never sinned, and you receive the Holy Spirit. So trust Jesus to save you, not your works. Now I want to end with two telltale signs that you're trusting in your works to save you, but not Jesus. You might know in your head, yeah, it's not by my works that save me, but you're living like it, okay? And the first telltale sign that you're trusting your works to save you is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. You probably have never said this, but you've probably thought it. Prayer is a waste of time because I could be doing things for Jesus instead. Well, didn't Jesus say in John 15, 5 that apart from me you can do nothing? Ray Stedman says that prayer is the most perfect expression of faith or trust because prayer is the manifestation of dependence on God. So I'm not just talking about prayers of like, okay, we're about to have a meal, so God... Thanks for the food. Move on. I'm not talking about that. Or, God, I really need something right now. I'm talking about prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of dependence. Because if you're convinced that you can't save yourself and then you can't even do good things apart from Jesus, then you will constantly be going, God, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And Jesus, I really need your help. Prayers of thankfulness, prayers of dependence, prayers like we just sang, thank you, Jesus, just as I am, I come. Hallelujah, oh, what amazing love. Thankful, restful prayer in the finished work of Jesus. 
It's a prayer like this, God, thank you that regardless of how poorly I serve and love my family this week, I'm just as accepted and loved from the moment I trusted in you. This brings such freedom. Freedom from fear. Fear of screwing it up. And then it actually frees you to serve and love your family like you never have before. Or, or another prayer like this. God, thank you that regardless of how great I do at serving my family this week, I'm just as accepted and loved from the moment I trusted in you. This brings freedom from pride. This brings freedom from trusting in our own efforts. Because even on our best weeks, like Shane said earlier, like it says in the scripture, that our best deeds are like filthy rags to God. He's like, yeah. I'm still way more holy. So we need to be more prayerfully dependent on God. We need to be more prayerfully thankful And that will kick out and root out works righteousness in us, saying I can be saved by my own efforts. Another telltale sign that you're trusting in works to save you is that you primarily view God and relate to God as a judge more than a father. What do I mean by that? God is definitely a judge. He's going to come and judge everybody. Absolutely. But for those who have believed in Jesus, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God is your judge just means, yeah, I know Jesus is going to come and he's going to look at me and see Jesus' perfect record. So the verdict's already decided. So my relationship should be primarily with God as a father. Okay, a judge, we're always trying you know, to impress them, okay? Convince them that you're good enough so you don't get as severe as a sentence, as, as you deserve. But with a father, you can't, you can't cease to be someone's son. Okay? So when we're relating to God, do you relate to him more as this judge that you're scared of and you're trying to, trying to do all the right things or not say certain things or do certain things just so, just so you don't get a whack from him or, you're, or are you relating to him as a father who loves you and certainly when you screw up, Your father is disappointed, but it never changes his love for you. And I know maybe a lot of us have had horrible circumstances with our earthly fathers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a perfect father who loves unconditionally, who disciplines out of love every time, not out of anger. That's God. And so for those who have believed in him, are you relating to him as your father? You think of him as your perfect father. Instead of a judge. So we need to trust Jesus to save us. Not our works. And we can do that through humble, dependent, joy-filled, confident prayer. And through viewing Him as a Father. So we're about to sing a song. And one of the lyrics says, What can I say? What can I do but offer this heart, O God, completely to you? And so I want you, as, as we sing this, make this your heart cry, God. Say, God, uproot anything in me that says that I can do it, that says that I can earn standing with you. And just go, what can I say? What can I do? I can't do anything, but I can offer my heart to you, and that's what I'm going to do. So let's do that as we sing and worship. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll do that. Father, thank you so much. 
for being our Father. I pray that we would all relate to you as our Father. And I pray for those in here that don't know you, that they would choose today to trust you, to believe in you, to have faith in you. And God, I know, I know my heart, and I, I, my guess is that most everyone's heart in here is like this as well. We just want to try to earn it, because everything else in life we have to earn. We have to go to work in order to get money. We have to do this to get that, but with you it just seems too good to be true. And most things in life that seem too good to be true are not true. But we know that this actually is true, even though it seems crazy that all I have to do is trust you. All I have to do is trust you. And I get right standing before you and I get the Holy Spirit inside of me. I get that blessing. So God, change my heart. Change our hearts in here, God. We so naturally just want to try to do it ourselves and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and power through, but make us dependent people on you forgive us for trying to do it on our own living like you didn't even die on the cross thank you jesus thank you just as we are we come amen Amen.